Hello, fellow health and safety professionals. We are coming to you live from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, home of the Fonz, Laverne and Shirley, and of course, beer. How could it get any better than that? This is Ted Speaks Live. Our podcast will focus on keeping people safe, families together, and growing your career in short eight to 10 minute weekly segments. Your host is Ted Carew, the positive safety coach. Ted has over 25 years of health and safety experience in both manufacturing and construction. He started his career in the field and worked his way up to safety director. Ted also coaches football and knows how important it is to communicate expectations and work together both at work and at play. With this as Ted's background, he is excited to share some of his experiences with you and to improve your career and your company. Our guest today is Devin Molitor. Devin has over 19 years of experience in both small and large-scale program safety and health management, having learned his initial skill set in the United States military as a nuclear, biological, and chemical defense expert. During this time, he also began to apply his skills in the consulting industry, specifically within the oil and gas market sector, working with several major oil and gas clients before branching out into other market sectors. Mr. Molitor is a board-certified safety professional, certified instructional trainer, and associate in risk management. He has also held a Master of Science in Occupational Safety from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. Devin was awarded the 2020 National Safety Council Rising Star of Safety Award. He is currently a Senior Safety Health and Environmental Manager at AECOM. AECOM is the world's premier infrastructure consulting firm delivering professional services across the project lifecycle, from planning, design, and engineering to consulting and construction management. They partner with clients in the public and private sectors to solve their most complex challenges and build legacies for generations to come. On projects spanning transportation, buildings, water, governments, energy, and environment, Their teams are driven by a common purpose to deliver a better world. AECOM is a Fortune 500 firm with revenue of approximately $20.2 billion during fiscal year 2019. Please welcome to the show, Devin Molitor. Hello, Devin. How are you doing today? Good. How about yourself? I am doing great. I'm really glad to have you on the show. Congratulations on your 2020 Rising Star of Safety from the National Safety Council. I'm sure you must be pretty proud to have that. What's it like to be recognized for the National Safety Council as a winner of the Raising Star? It's pretty neat. Obviously, it is a big deal. I'm very happy to receive it. And I guess one of the things that struck me the most, because you get the award, the crystal thing they send you, and you get recognition in the magazine. And that was amazing. I've never been in a magazine before, so that was pretty cool. (laughs) And you look good in it, by the way. You look good in it. (laughs) Well, they didn't send the picture I sent them, which is probably a good thing, but... The thing that I thought was the best about it, though, was I I kind of became aware of what it took to get me that award. And I I became aware of the people who wrote letters and kind of spoke up for me. And that was was super, honestly, touching. Mm -hmm. And probably the most important thing about winning that award for me was seeing the people who thought I was good enough to speak up and kind of put their name on the line for me. And that was pretty neat. Yeah, that's pretty powerful when others speak for you and you don't have to, you know, and and that recognition. So Mm -hmm. good for you. I have a question here, Devin, and I have to say I'm, I'm pretty impressed and interested to hear your answer. But what was it like in the military, if I have this right, as a nuclear, biological, and chemical defense expert? That right there is pretty impressive. 
They don't let just anybody do that, I don't think, Barbara. I'm not an expert, though. I was reading your background (laughs) and I thought, wow, (laughs) that's pretty amazing. Is this guy really in safety? (laughs) Yeah, it's an interesting job. Did I put expert on my resume? So, should say specialist. Oh, specialist. specialist. Okay. Yeah, it's a pretty neat job that I accidentally got into. I was more interested in joining the military at the time than I was in what I was going to do. Okay. So it was something that sounded neat and was available at the time. So I jumped on it. Honestly, it's a pretty ordinary job, pretty much similar to a lot of other more technical jobs in the military. We spent a lot of time in school learning a lot of interesting things that we ended up not really using. And as bad as that sounds... <laughs> Don't tell our kids, please. Don't tell our kids. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, it's some jobs in the military, they do them every single day. And the nuclear, biological, chemical defense job is one of those jobs that's very particular to the circumstances. And before the lead up or the lead up to the 2003 Iraq war, we were very popular because that was kind of a risk. But All of the other time we spent doing that job was kind of limited to teaching and instruction and communicating information to the rest of the unit and a lot less science and a lot less cool sounding stuff. But it was definitely a huge stepping stone for me to what I do now, because a lot of what I do as a safety professional focuses on communication and, and getting a certain message to people from all walks of life and all different backgrounds and getting them to kind of understand what you're trying to tell them. Yeah. Right. I was going to say, when you said communicating and instruction and such, that plays such a big part in a lot of professions, especially the safety field. So how did you transition from that to the safety field? Can you share that with our listeners? Yeah. Well, once again, accidentally. I think there's a lot of safety professionals out there who didn't know that this is what they were going to be doing when they (laughs) maybe went to school or when they joined an organization. Very, very true. Yeah. So when, when I was looking for, because I was a reservist my entire military career, and when I was looking to find a civilian job, I ended up kind of leveraging this background of nuclear, biological, and chemical defense into the environmental industry. And it was a, a very loose connection, right, in terms of I knew about respiratory protection, I knew about contamination, I knew about decontamination not necessarily from petrochemical or that type of stuff, but from a much scarier world. But the information did translate to a certain extent. So that moved me into a civilian role at a rather small environmental consulting firm. And then it just kind of started organically growing from there. It was, hey, can you do this air monitoring for us? Let us show you how. Can you read through this and make sure this makes sense for decontaminating from this site? And then it, it just started to grow and grow and grow. It kind of involved, right? I mean, uh, as you went along, you got more and more interested in probably working with the people. Yeah, becoming more interested and then getting to a point where you hit a bit of a ceiling and they say, well, we need you for this role, but we need you to go and get this certification or get this qualification, which myself and actually my current boss, who is my friend from the military, we both came into this together and we were known as the jacks of all trades. It was, hey, we need somebody to do this type of sampling, okay, send those two. They've got time, right? And we, we ended up with a binder full of qualifications from mining and tunneling to asbestos inspection to you name it. And it's just our knowledge base grew. And it's like you said, it continued to evolve and we became people who were very knowledgeable in every little tiny facet of what the company did. 
Well, I think you bring up a good point too. A lot of times people think that safety people have nothing else to do, so they get a lot more assignments, right? And we learn though, but it's also kind of a nice thing because we get to learn a lot of different things, different aspects that perhaps other people don't have the opportunity to. Right. And for the safety professionals, like we mentioned, who who didn't expect to get into safety and they're not quite there yet, that's where that knowledge comes from. well, you're not really our safety manager. You're kind of just that person right now. <laughs> exactly. So we're kind of using for everything and you're going in this direction, but in the meantime, go sit at the site. And make sure this gets done right or go to the store and get this or, or whatever, right? You just end up gathering a lot of knowledge oh, right, yes. about how things are done because you're the one actually doing them. Correct. And you learn the process and that's so important in learning how to work with people because you're learning those things, even though they may seem at the time that they're kind of, you know, I don't do this. It's not my job description. You're actually learning so much more that's going to make you so much more valuable in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And we were talking to a different guest speaker and that topic came up about how you end up in the safety field. Sometimes it's not what you went to school for or what you intended, but it seems like that's just a different path you take. And I think too, just evolving and learning as you go is so important. And like you said, you just learn so much more. You do learn a lot in a classroom. I'm not saying that, but as we all know, once you get into the real world, that's where you gain your experience and your knowledge. So very true. Right. Yeah. It's dramatically different. And one of the things that I'm sure we'll get into it on another question, but that experience when you're maybe a junior safety professional or not even considered a safety professional yet, when you learn all that stuff, it pays out in spades later when you are a safety manager or director. And you're staring people in the face saying, you know, this is how we've got to do this. And they're looking at you and saying, why am I listening to you? You have no idea what we do. And it's like, oh, one moment. Yes, I do. Yeah, exactly. I did that job for the first two years or whatever. And to see their eyes get big is well worth it right there. Their eyes just get like, how do you know what we're doing? (laughs) Yeah, you start using the terminology that they're used to hearing and you you understand exactly what they're doing, but maybe more importantly, what the challenges are. So you can help, and we're going to get into this in another question, but you can help them overcome those challenges instead of just being essentially a safety cop and saying, well, here's your problem. This is what you're doing wrong. I'll be back in five minutes after you fix it, which is not the position you want to be in. Correct. Or sitting and watching them while you're drinking coffee. That never goes over well either, right? (laughs) No, right, right, yeah. Well, I know you talked about in your military background and now as a professional safety person, communication and instructing people is so important. When you communicate, do you have a certain method you use with the people you work with? Or do you do that based on who you're communicating with? Is there a certain style of communication? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's a multifaceted and potentially long answer. (laughs) I would say that there's definitely not one way. I mean, if you're fortunate enough to be in a company small enough, and by small, I mean, probably less than 20 people kind of small. Unless you're in one of those companies, there's absolutely no one way to communicate to your team. Like we were saying before, you have to know what people do, right? But more importantly, you're going to have generational issues, background issues. You're going to have all these things that affect how people communicate or what it means to effectively communicate to them. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's absolutely a daily challenge in terms of reading the room and understanding this is my message. It's one message. It doesn't change. Two plus two equals four. But for some people, you have to go, okay, here's two apples and here's another two apples. How many apples do you have? Another group of people, you just go flat out black and white, two plus two equals four. And you go through every one and you change the same message 
to fit every single group because there is no one way to communicate. There absolutely is. There's probably seven. (laughs) But trying to figure out how to communicate is probably the art of it all, right? Right. Yeah, that's the art and the challenge. Yeah. Yeah, listening to you just explain that is a very good visual. Your message doesn't change and it shouldn't, but you have to decide how you're going to get across to people. And I always say too, someone can be really, really intelligent in something, but it doesn't mean they can teach. So it sounds like, you know, you get that concept and that's why in your role, that's why you've been successful because you can share that with the people you work with and the people that you're trying to help. It's a big deal. Communication is really, really a big deal. Yeah. And it doesn't come easy either because there was a part of my career where I was the guy that wasn't allowed to talk to the client (laughs) because they were afraid of how I was going to say it. (laughs) You're going to say the truth. They didn't want that, right? (laughs) Right. Well, yeah. How is he going to say it? So it, you know, it takes a while, and especially transitioning out of the military, which is a totally different topic for another day. But it is very difficult coming from the type of organization where you can communicate one way and one way works, right? And then you carry that same way, which in today's world is at best offensive, <laughs> if, <laughs> if, you know, but at worst, way, way, way worse, right? So slowly developing that mindset of this is. You're always going to have a multifaceted organization. You're mm-hmm. always going to have different people from butchers and bakers to candlestick makers of different <laughs> ages and different preferences. And like you said, we have engineers at my company now who are incredibly brilliant. Mm-hmm. And there's a very particular way that you have to communicate with them yes. right. because they will analytically pick apart everything you have to say right, right, and go, wait a minute, that doesn't quite add up right because that's the way their brains work. Correct. Yeah. Well, at the same time, I have a design group. They're very passionate about designing interiors and the way things look. And I I really actually sat down with their leadership because their biggest issue was the one-page PDF with, you know, embedded links we sent them. It didn't flow well. It didn't look right. And it was confusing to them. And and that's a true story. So it was like, okay, let's sit down and how do we design this to where it's usable to your folks? Versus my engineers who say, just give me the PDF with the links, black and white. And I'll take it and run with it. So if I'm hearing you right, Devin, I think probably what you're saying really is that everybody we work with, there is no one way of doing it, right? We have to find a way to work with individuals because they are individuals. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Right. And and it's a challenge because you you can't get into the weeds too much. There's a stopping point where it's the point of diminishing returns. But yeah, you will end up with several different methods of communicating from email to in-person training to the PDFs with the embedded links to videos and everything in between. There's several different ways all to communicate the exact same message. Kind of leading along with the same topic of communication, which I think is very interesting. And like I said, it, it just applies to personal and work and every aspect of our life. But this seems to come, I don't know, naturally to you or it's a passion for you. And I was just thinking that not every safety professional probably is a good communicator by nature. Do you have any advice for the people that might struggle at first with this? Yeah, it depends on the reason folks struggle. I mean, we've got some individuals out there who are just deathly afraid of speaking in front of people, right? And that's not something that's easily overcome. I think I read somewhere and you can fact check this one later, but it's such a fear for some people that they would, they'd rather be shot than speak in front of a group, which to me blows my mind because despite the fact that I get the butterflies too when I get up in front of a room full of people, it's hardly something that I'd rather be shot over, right? So 
it depends on why you're struggling, right? Some people, they don't have the natural ability to stand up and speak about a topic right off the cuff. So there's preparation involved. They have to sit down the night before and kind of rehearse what they're going to say. But it does all come down to practice, 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 and also understanding the confidence in, you know, and I've told many junior folks this, you know what you're talking about. You have all the information, right? You can talk about respiratory protection to me right now without note cards, without nerves. So why is there a change when you stand up in front of five or 10 people who you don't know? You're talking about information you know. And that reminder of, if you don't know the information, that's a different problem. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't be teaching. <laughs> I think you bring a good point because I've worked with a lot of safety professionals that I've kind of mentored similar to you. And you're right. They have the knowledge, but they get up in front of a, a group and they see the eyes looking at them. And then they don't convey the confidence. And that confidence is so important of what they're saying because if the employees don't believe in what you're saying, so the confidence, like you're saying, Devin, is exactly what we got to get to, right? Yeah, it comes from repetition. That's one of the biggest things. And to go back to my military experience, and actually way, way back when I was in school for nuclear, biological, and chemical defense, the teaching was one of the things that they taught us. Getting up in front of the class and teaching on a subject was one of the things that we had to do quite often but they would throw a twist in. And the twist was after you were done with your prepared course, you were then given a topic right then and there while you were still standing in front of the class and you had to teach on it immediately without preparation. And it was never something you had to make up and lie about, but it was definitely something that was 180 degrees from what you were just talking about. You may have been talking about nerve agents and the effects on the body. And now you're going to talk about why you like dogs, (laughs) right? And you've got to come up with a coherent training session right then and there on why you like dogs. Yes, I would absolutely not like this activity. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. But that built confidence. Right, yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And not only that, try to make things a story, right? Especially uh, people are going to listen to stories more than they are about the actual regulations. So the more experience you get, use those and bring those out and, and be part of a story. People really enjoy doing that. Yes, yeah. very true. I guess to, to circle back to your actual question, though, I mean, for safety professionals who are struggling, you know, find out why you're actually struggling. Right. And work on that particular thing and do it over and over and over again. Stand up in front of your spouse, in front of your friends and annoy them, but teach them about safety, about what you're going to teach so you get the practice in. Right. And that, that's going to build the confidence. And if there's one thing that is pretty consistent across the board, and that, that would be slow down. You're going way faster than you think, and you probably sound like a chipmunk well, because yeah. you're talking so fast and you don't realize it. <laughs> right, right. That's universal True. across the board. Slow down. You may think that you're speaking too slowly, but the odds are you're actually at the right speed because you just don't realize how quickly you talk when you're speaking in front of a group of people. Very true. Very but true. That, that would be the one piece of advice. Just slow down. You know what you're talking about. And then on the back end, figure out where you're struggling and just rehearse practice on that over and over and over and over and over again. That's great advice. You have the experience. What do you think are the top three attributes that a top safety professional needs to work well in safety? One, I think we already answered communication. <laughs> what, I'm sorry, Barb, what'd you say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, communication is a huge one. The other one is a little bit different and maybe not expected, but you really have to be a jack of all trades and a jack of all knowledge. I think one of the biggest pitfalls, and I see like the the question could easily go, what are three traits that you wouldn't want people to have? And this one goes on both sides. You have to know 
the business that you're in. There's too many safety professionals out there who, oh gosh, for lack of a better term, are feel too powerful. And that's not the right way to say it, but they'll stop a job. They'll shut down something. They don't understand that while safety is absolutely the number one focus, right? Keeping people safe, preventing harm to people or environment or property or whatever, you do work for a business and right. a business well, that right. has to make money. Right. No, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's the reality of it. Right. That's the reality. So if you don't understand business, if you don't understand how profit works, how clients are built, how contracts are written, if you don't understand that and you walk into a room full of leadership and you say, well, if this happens, I'm shutting the whole thing down. <laughs> well, you also just shut them down too. And they're, right. they're not listening. You just became a safety cop. Right? And right. That's, you don't want to be that person. So absolutely, one of the top three traits, aside from communication, would have to be knowing business and knowing the business you're in because you have to meld with that. And if you don't, then you're going to lose credibility. People aren't going to listen to you. At worst, you might be replaced. Right. You, you have to speak the language, right? I mean, construction is very unique in what we've done. Manufacturing is very unique in the way that does anything that you have. So you got to learn the language, right? So you can communicate. Yeah, you've got to learn the language. You have to learn what's important to them because they have their goals. Leadership has their goals. Right, just like you we You have do. a goal of keeping people safe. Mm-hmm. Right. And everybody has to accomplish their goals. And you can stand in the way of it. And you can't be that person. You can't be a roadblock. You can't be a safety cop. Your answer always has to be, yeah, we can do that. But let's take a minute to figure out how we're going to do it safely and in compliance with either you know regulatory requirements or client requirements or whatever. Right. Your answer is always yes. Yep. You're a customer <laughs> service person. Right. You're, as a safety professional, your customer is the business. Let's find a way. Yeah. Let's find a way. Let's work together. And so the third thing they definitely need to know, I mean, communication, understanding business in general and the business you work for specifically. And then third is taking the time to learn what is going on at your organization. Like I said, you know, a lot of safety professionals are fortunate because they came into it as a general worker of some kind, right? So they learned, but some don't, right? And those people that come right into it as a, say, safety manager, we just hired you on board to run safety here. Well, that person's got to take the time to dig into the weeds and go and do the work with the employees, spend a day with them, not looking over their shoulder, but literally doing the work, right? So they can learn the challenges, everything that is going on at that level, because if you don't understand that, if you're not engaged with where the rubber meets the road, you're not going to have sufficient understanding on how to keep those individuals safe, how to inject safety into that role without flipping over the apple cart, right? Or generally shutting everything down and becoming a hindrance as opposed to a the team member. Right. That's a good way to put it. You don't want to be known as that person. <laughs> so you have to be able to communicate. You have to understand the business uh, and you have to understand the intricacies of what's going on on the front line. If you don't have those three things, then you're going to become a hindrance to the organization. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, that's some awesome advice uh, that you have given. And hopefully people will take that and learn from that. I also wanted to take a few moments and thank you for your service. We can't appreciate the sacrifices that you've made, you and your family from the military. So thank you very much for that. Also, now it's kind of the fun time, as I always like to say, for the stuff. And me being the positive safety coach, I just want to ask you a couple of jokes and, and see how you do. The question is, are you ready? And are you sitting down now? Because these are tough. I, I am sitting down. I am ready. Okay, don't okay. get too excited here. <laughs> All right. 
Why did the crossing guard cross the street? Why did the crossing guard cross the street? Yeah, you were kind of God, almost kind I mean, of talking I'm, about this in a little way today. So I'm going to put the extra pressure on you. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm torn between trying to come up with something witty and funny and something that's logical and makes sense. You know, Don't overthink our jokes. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens when you get these smart people on the show, Barb. They overthink these <laughs> yeah. things. We're, we're just common folks. I just always say, I don't oh, know. <laughs> I mean, I have to assume that there's there's a small child on the other side of the street that needs assistance in crossing the road. I mean, that's my initial oh, well, impression. That's pretty close because that's his job. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's his job to cross oh. the street. I really should have not overthought that. <laughs> yeah. You can do this one, Ted. Oh, okay. I'm going to test the joke teller today. <laughs> so what are things that you should never yell during an emergency? And you know what? You can think back to a Seinfeld episode if that helps you. I don't know if you ever saw the one with George getting out of the way. I don't know if, oh, if you've watched I, I don't show. remember the Seinfeld episode. So that's something I... Because I, I teach pretty regularly various safety classes, topics. I'm actually teaching Haslop for field safety today at 11. Oh, okay. And one of the things that I always talk about, I mean, emergency response is, is one of the things that's part of Haslopper, OSHA and Haslopper, but it's part of our standard procedures as well. And every time I teach the class, I always say, you know, there's a few different things uh, that you're going to do if there's an emergency. And I always tell people, I mean, you need to leave the site, right? Go to an area of safety. But I always advise people, do not wave your hands in the air and scream, we're all going to die. <laughs> Probably not the way you should go about it. Well, why so is that? I, I, I don't say, understand. I'm just kidding with you, Debbie. Yeah, I mean, they're welcome to do it. I mean, if it's scary, it's scary. But I usually will say the worst thing you can do is wave your hands in the air and scream, we're all going to die. <laughs> if you're right That's kind of like an airplane, right? On an airplane. Yeah, yeah, generally. Well, our answer is similar. You should never yell, run, move, or my life is more important than yours. <laughs> so... <laughs> Oh, I like that. I like that last one. That's going to make it into the training today. I think we should end there. (laughs) Yeah, Barbara and I cannot thank you enough for uh, being on uh, TED Speaks Live today. Yeah, thank you. And uh, looking forward to making safety professionals hopefully a little bit better at the end of this episode. Yeah, we appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to TED Speaks Live with Ted Carew, the positive safety coach. We would love to hear from you. You can reach out through email at ted.carew at healthandsafetynow.com if you'd like to know more about our podcast or if you're interested in being a guest. Feel free to check us out at healthandsafetynow.com. Rate and review on your favorite podcast app. Join us next week for our next episode. Have a super safe week.